Amen, amen. Great song, great song. Thanks, thanks for leading us in that, Phil. And um, yeah, I, uh, I, wasn't, I was gonna keep this kind of just to myself, but since you, you kind of shared, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna join you. Um, I, got, I got clearance to actually uh, move and exercise again a couple weeks ago. And so uh, I haven't gotten to arms yet. I'm just, I'm just trying to run. Um, or what probably, if you were to see me, it probably looks like I'm walking rapidly. Um, but I, I started that, and so uh, I, I only have one calf muscle that I'm aware of right now, so that's, um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna move gingerly, but um, man, just so in shape. I've jogged twice, so I think I'm there, and um, so, yeah. Um, hey, it's, it's so good to be together uh, this morning, and uh, uh, this, this happens from time to time, but the, the words that we sing and uh, the, uh, the, the message or the verses uh, in Scripture that God leads us to um, every once in a while just fits so well together, and that's, and that's true today. Um, and so can't wait to share uh, what, I've, what I've got to, to share with you today. Um, I do uh, also just need to um, uh, tell you that when I was a, when I was a young, young boy, teenager, I, uh, I remember watching a... Uh, uh, a guy who was a little bit older than me, and uh, he was just really, really good at, at running and catching uh, the football. And um, I really just admired him. And uh, fortunately, he ended up playing for uh, the greatest franchise of all time and becoming the greatest football player ever. And so um, I'm so glad that as a young man, I got to watch Jerry Rice and... Um, and so he played for the 49ers, and they're playing today. And so, Jeez. he played for the 49ers, the San Francisco 49ers, and it's so good. I'm just kidding. I, what I wanted to do is just say, isn't it great that we can be a community and a family and have different kind of likes and yet still come together in one place? And so I just, I just needed to put that out there that I'm, um, uh, I'm really excited what God has to say and I'm also looking forward to the game uh, later today. And if you didn't know that, uh, if you didn't know that there was a game today, um, yeah, there's a, it's, it's called the Super Bowl. It's, a, it's actually a national holiday, whether you know it or not. And so I just want to acknowledge that and say, uh, for, and just also pat all of us on the back for actually coming to church on the Super Bowl day, because some people don't. Um, and with that said, pray with me. Uh, God, we're here, uh, just like those words that we just were invited to sing, say that we say, we want to say yes to you. We want to say yes, that you are the God that meets us in the low points. Uh, you are the God that meets us uh, when it doesn't seem like there's a way forward. You're the God that is never changing and always faithful. And so in this place and with our mouths, we declare that you're good and that you're the God of all justice and that you love us, that you see us, that you know us, that you're always near, that you love us. Holy Spirit, as we are gathered here, we invite you and expect you and ask you to work and move in our presence and in our hearts and in our minds this morning. And so would you do a, a supernatural work in us that you, you change us, that we become different women and men because we've been with you uh, this morning. And so have your way with us. And Jesus says, we've sung, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And outside of you, we can only long for those things, but with you, we experience those things. 
And so we ask for you to guide us and to teach us as we look to your word this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We've been in this series that we've called The Heart, uh, where Jesus begins his revolution. And uh, revolution is the idea of somebody coming in and changing things up and taking over. And so when we say the heart where Jesus begins his revolution, what we're talking about is this, this truth that exudes from scripture that is found in the story of God, where, where Jesus is coming after us to, to rule and to reign in our lives, that he actually takes us from a place of death to life. And many of us have experienced that. And if you've not experienced that, that's actually what Jesus is after with you, is to take you from a place where you don't know the way forward, where you're not who you were intended to be and created to be. And Jesus actually wants to have rule and reign. Those are big, significant words, but to, to lead us and to take over what often reigns in our life. And what I want to talk about today is, is kind of just the setup for where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks. And I, I was saying to somebody earlier uh, that this feels like... Uh, if, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon and then going and telling a friend who's not been actually stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's like saying, hey, uh, you know what, let me tell you about the Grand Canyon. It's big. Well, technically that's true, but that in no way conveys the experience of standing before the Grand Canyon. And that's a little bit what this feels like today. I want to talk about something today, and it's a starting point to where we're headed next in this series of, of the heart. Now, where we've come from so far is to, is to simply say, what does the Bible mean when, when the Bible says the heart? Again, we've pointed to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It's not up on the screen, but it says, above all else, guard your heart, for from it everything that we do flows. That the heart is actually the starting point of, of what happens in our life. It's, it, it helps define who we are. And while we've discussed the, the heart the last few weeks, what we said last week is that it's, it's this executive center, and, and that may or may not resonate with you, but what it means is it's the, it's the center of who we are. It's our core identity. If we were to peel all the layers back, we would get to not the organ of the heart that pumps blood, but we would get to the very core of who we are, our identity, and within that is our will, our will, our capacity. Let me say it this way, our power to choose and make our way in the world, to make a decision is our, our will. It's the it's the very core of who we are. It's, it's where our power resides. And you might feel like you have a lot of power. You might feel like you have very little power. But you have the power to make decisions, to make choices. That's your will. And what we said last week is that, that Jesus actually is coming for our will. That he wants our will. That he has an opinion, an idea, a way that we are to exist and live in this world that is the best for us and for others but involves a surrender of our will. And so we ended last week with this, with this prayer that we're invited to pray. Jesus, have my heart. And there's so much that we're saying within that. What I want to do is, is look at another reality of our hearts. It's executive center. It's the core of our identity. It's our will. It's, it's something else as well. And, and it might be very obvious or it might be something that we've gone, I didn't ever consider that before. Look at this verse with me, if you would. It's Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We've actually referenced this in the series already, but it says this. For the word of God, that's God's word, God's scripture, the Bible. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
Hebrews says that, 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 that this, God's word to us, that we can hold, that we can read, that we can find on the screen, that we can read words in our language that are actually from God. It's alive and active. It's not just, a, uh, it's not just content. It's not just information. It's not just knowledge, although it is those things. It's more than that. It's something active. It's the God of the universe communicating to us. God can communicate it to us in a number of ways. One of the ways, most tangibly, is, is through this book. But it's not saying just to give us more information. It's saying that it has this effect on us. It has this ability, when we let it do its work, when we invite it to do its work, to cut to the very core of who we are, and that identifies as our, our heart. And that last word right before heart, the key word is attitudes of the heart's thoughts. Yes, attitudes. The word attitudes here is, is the word intent. It's not just attitude like, how, how, you know, how am I expressing myself or what am I feeling or what attitude do I have? It's, it's, it's more than that. It's the, it's, the word there is intent. The intent. And, and within that, it says, includes our will. Where, where are we intending to go? What are we, let me say it this way, wanting? When we look at, at, at Scripture and when we consider that, that God is actually at work doing this, is, is cutting us to the core of who we are, to speaking to the very core of who we are, that, that we've all, not all of us, many of us have had this experience where we've read Scripture or we've listened to somebody teach Scripture and we've said, oh my gosh, God is speaking to me. That is going to change the trajectory of not just my day or year, but my very life. That something has happened here that's more than the words that are being exchanged. That's what Hebrews is describing. And it's talking about getting to the very core of who we are, to our will, to our intent, to the things that we purpose and, and want to go after. When we read and when we listen and when we take in information from Scripture into our our hearts and to our minds, it's more than just what's going on intellectually. It's more than just what we're learning. That is absolutely key. Romans says this, Romans chapter 12, verse 12, and it's an often referenced verse, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's a great one to come back to and to memorize and to keep in front of us always. And it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We could say revolutionized be changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God is in the business of transforming and renewing our, our mind. When, when we think differently, when we see things differently, it changes us, it affects us, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not just what we're thinking. It goes a level deeper. And we know this because information alone does not transform our lives, does it? We're in now, this is February 2nd. So we're at one month and two days into the new year. One of the things that happens when we head into a new year, often for many of us, and if it hasn't happened, you should consider it, I believe, is to take a look at your finances. And when you take a look at your finances, you get information about the reality of, of how much you have or don't have, how much debt you have, what bills you have, what income you have, what, what you're committed to paying, what you need to pay. All of that is laid out in front of you. And I know some of us are starting to sweat, and I realize that. We're like, oh, I should have done that in January. Blasted. When you learn and listen and read books on how to manage your finances, does that solve your finances for you? It helps, it can, it doesn't always. It's readily available, many of us have read about it, and it does, doesn't automatically change us and transform how we approach spending. It doesn't automatically 
keep us within the boundaries of the commitments that we have on spending and not spending, does it? The information alone does not transform us. It would be as if saying, okay, uh, this child is ready to be potty trained. I will walk them into the bathroom, point them at the toilet and say, this is where you are to pee. Don't pee anywhere else, only pee here. They now have full information on how to be potty trained. Are they potty trained? And if you have one that, that worked, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> but information alone does not transform us, does not change. It's valuable. It's needed. Scripture over and over and over talks about the mind and how our mind, just as, as, as Romans says, can be transformed and changed. But it's something different, d- deeper than that. It is reductionistic to think that information alone will change you. It's as if saying, hey, I, I really wish this, this person would fall in love with me, and so I'm going to give them more information about themselves. I'm just going to continue writing, and they'll fall in love. That, that doesn't always work. Sometimes it does. It doesn't always work. Information alone doesn't change us. That's reducing us just to thinking things, that we're just a, we, we just exist up here if that were true. And what Scripture says is this whole different picture about who we are. Look at this. In, uh, if, if you had a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1. And slide down to verse 9. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Philippians is a short letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the people in, uh, in Philippi, the, the, the new young church, the new followers of Jesus uh, that are seeking to follow him. And, 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 and he writes to them, and, he, and he's, often in his letters, he'll start with an introduction and then a, a prayer and celebrating them. Not, not all, some are critiquing, but this one is, is thanks, thanking God for, for who they are and what they've done. And in verse 9, it says this, this is my prayer. Paul is writing to young followers of Jesus. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that you're love. His, his prayer is that love would be the thing that grows in knowledge and depth of insight. That our, our love would actually grow. Not that our knowledge would grow, that our, our love would grow. That when we love, we grow in knowledge. It's not that knowledge can expand our hearts and grow our love. It's, he starts with our capacity to love. What this... What this tells us, what this speaks to, what this it, it just oozes from Scripture is that we're not primarily exist in our intellect and we're not just containers for more information, although that is absolutely vital and helpful and plays a significant role in becoming the human beings that we're designed to be. But there's part of us that's deeper than that, that's more core to who we are, that God is after first and before anything else. And that's our hearts. Genesis 1.27 says that, that God created us in his image. It, it comes at the end of the first chapter of Genesis where we're told the story of how God created and he goes through and creates better and better things. He, he, creates, he brings order to the universe and separates light and darkness and then water and land and then he goes through and creates all of these different living things and then he gets to the pinnacle of creation. And that's you and me. He creates human beings, and it's the first time we read in Scripture that says it's created in His image, that we have a capacity and a design that is different than everything else in creation. And it starts with who we are at the core of who we are. 
Later on in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says that we actually love because he first loved us. This is what we were designed for. This is who we are. And when we think just about gathering information and interacting with God on an intellectual level or a knowledge-based level or information alone, we miss who we really are. And what we miss more than anything else is our capacity to love, to want, and to desire something. I'm going to skip a few verses or move on to... Um, actually, hold off. I'm not going to the Psalms right now. When we realize that Scripture is, is actually teaching us and calling us to surrender our hearts to the God of the universe, and that includes both our will but also our love, or let's say another way, our desire, it forces us to assess how we view who we really are, that we're created in the image of God and we're created with the capacity to love. A few months ago, we had a, a guy named James K.A. Smith here for a, um, he was in town speaking at a different, couple different places, and he came and did a reading from one of his latest books, and it prompted me to buy an earlier book of his uh, called You Are What You Love. Listen to probably the critical sentences from his entire book. It happens early on on page nine. He says this. It's not going to be up on the screen, so you'll have to just listen. The center of gravity of the human person the center of who we are, the center of gravity for the human person is located not in the intellect, but in the heart. Why? Because the heart is the existential chamber of our love. We've used that phrase a few times. It's the chamber of our love. And it is our loves that orient us toward some ultimate end, or the Greek word is telos, end or telos. It's not just that I know some end or believe in some telos. More than that, I long for some end, I want something and want it ultimately. It is my desires that define me. In short, you are what you love. Again, that's the title of his book. You are what you love. Our loves, our heart ends up defining us more than anything else. Such a trajectory of our lives determines how we interact with the world around us. It is more than just what we think or what we know. Knowledge alone does not transform, but it plays a critical role. We are something more than that. And so when we surrender to God, we're not just surrendering the way that we think, although hopefully we do, but we're surrendering something far more precious and guarded and influential in our existence, and that's our will and our desire. When we say that Jesus begins his revolution with our heart. It means that he is after the most core part of who we are. It means that he wants to actually know us, not just our behavior or what we've done or our resume, but to know us and to meet us and to transform us and to revolutionize us so that we are following and surrender to him more than anything else in this world. Let me read these these verses to us, and it's a psalmist, it's not David, but it's Psalm 42. And it describes, it puts poetic words to this, this idea, this reality that our hearts would long for Jesus above anyone else. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts 
for God, for the living God? When can I go and meet with God? Many of us readily say, I want more of God. There's others of us in the room right now that say, I want something, I'm not sure it's God. Others of us say, I want something and I know for certain it's not God. How do we begin to to surrender our hearts to God? This is where we're headed over the next few weeks. When we talk about desires, can we just acknowledge that it feels a little uh, maybe surprising, maybe uncomfortable, maybe even disorienting to talk about our desires in a moment in a space like this? We can talk about what we know and what we understand very comfortably here. But when we go to a level deeper and talk about what it is that that we actually truly want, there's a level of vulnerability and honesty that are required to actually go there. And then we've got a whole other part of it that's just, that's that's a complicated thing. God wants what I desire. God wants my desires to be primarily, I got a whole bunch of desires that aren't any remotely related to God, I don't think. I want to read to you uh, a couple lines that reflect kind of just us, I think. Um, it comes in a kind of an odd form. Uh, there's a couple that got married just a couple years ago. Uh, you may recognize the names. They're kind of in the, the celebrity famous people category. Um, her name is uh, Julianne Huff, uh, Dancing with the Stars fame, and, and his name is Brooks Like. Uh, he was an NHL player that recently retired. He was a star, and they got married a couple years ago. Uh, he did a podcast a couple weeks ago, and then People Magazine wrote an article about it. I don't make a habit of reading people. I want you to know that and be very sure of that. Um, he says this, uh, they're having problems. They've been married two years and they're having problems, which when you've been married two years, who isn't? But they, you know, they're having problems and uh, he says this, part of it, it's related to their sexuality. Surprise. Um, one of my goals this year is to really explore like learning about sexuality. People think that sexuality is just the act of sex, of just having sex, and there's so much more to it. Uh, here's a question. This is an honest question for everybody in this room and every single person listening. Are you fully 100% fully expressed in your true sexuality? And then he goes on and he actually describes, because many of us aren't, he says we're essentially, well, that's a state of suffering. Thinking about his sexuality, struggle in a marriage, uh, just retired from the NHL, um, and he is not fully expressed in his sexuality, and so that's what he's going to prioritize this next year. And he describes it as a, as a pleasure first priority. The article goes on. As for his new pleasure first approach in life, the former hockey star pondered on his Monday podcast about his new perspective would impact his day-to-day life. Listen to this. Quote, what would the quality of my life be if I woke up prioritizing pleasure as the absolute most important thing in my day, he asked. Quote, you are more loving, more kind, more patient. There's more gratitude for everything, like continued. Pleasure first is a new concept that I'm trying to explore in my life because it's not been. It's been almost last in the course of my life. Now, because it has to do with sexuality, we can really easily get distracted by that. Because he's connecting pleasure to sexuality, that seems like a pretty easy equation. And regardless of what you think about that, listen to this again. What would you, he asked, what would the quality of my life be like if I dot, dot, dot? 
it's easy to critique this and, 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 and maybe even laugh at it, but, but the reality is that this reflects, I think, all of us in some way. Not that we're pleasure first or want to be fully expressed in our sexuality, but that we're asking the question, what is the quality of my life and how do I make it better? What's the quality of my life? And his answer, he's convinced, is that he, if he goes pleasure first, his quality of life will expand and be better and improved. And then all of these other things, I'll be more loving, more kind, more patient. There's more gratitude for everything. Now, that doesn't work. I mean, we know that, right? But, but this is us. We think, okay, if I'm gonna find the thing and then I'm gonna go after it and it's gonna help the quality, it's gonna improve the quality of my life. We've all been at this place before. That becomes our end or our telos. We're beings that are created for movement. We're beings that are created with desire. We go after something. And we can go after anything. And Jesus is saying, come after me and know the God of the universe and that's gonna be better than everything. And he, it's not saying don't have any desire. We're used to maybe... Maybe we're used to, when it comes to our wants and our desires, we're used to believing we need to squash them and reduce them and to, to ratchet it down and control them. There's a level of truth to that. But when we listen to the voice of God through Scripture, He is not primarily saying, get your desires under wrap. He's not saying, cage them in and limit them. What he's saying is, first and foremost, direct them towards me. Direct them towards me, and then the quality of your life will actually be the blessing that I designed you for. Direct them for, towards me. C.S. Lewis is one of the most famous quotes ever. And listen to this. Maybe it sounds familiar. If you're hearing it for the first time, it will absolutely blow your mind. Listen to it carefully. C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. We settle for something like pleasure first and exploring our sexuality and think that's going to satisfy us at the deepest parts of our hearts, of our souls, of the core of who we are. And man, that's not an original thought. There's been people over the course of humanity who have tried that, and there will be somebody in the next generation that tries that. Brooks isn't onto something new here. But the answer is readily available as we look in the past. And God is inviting us. Put your desires and your wants fully on me. As the deer pants for the streams of the water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. I want to read this to you as well. And sorry for all the reading quotes today. I didn't know how to better go about this. But this, this resonated with me because it reflects exactly where I am. When I read that from C.S. Lewis and go, oh, my desires aren't, are too weak. They need to be stronger. I'm settling for things of this world that are far less than what God promises me. But yet my desires still go in that direction. Jen Pollock Michael writes in a book, Teach Us to Want. My heart, probably like yours, is not fully set on God. Yes. I don't fully desire him or the coming of his kingdom. 
I consider verses like Isaiah 26, 8, your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. That's what Isaiah 26, 8 says. Your name, God, your renown is the desire of my heart and can only admit how little this is true of my heart and how hopelessly divided I am in the manner Paul talks about in Romans 7, where he says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do. And that whole tongue twist that so reflects our human condition. I and face with reality that I desire a whole lot of things and at times have to squeeze God into those. If I sit down and actually am honest about the things that I want, I can't help but be ashamed and go to work at concealing those things or reconstructing them so they sound proper and right. But to actually be honest about the things that I want and desire and bring those before God and say, God, these are the things that in my heart are competing with you right now. Because as much as I would like to say that for me, as the deer pants for streams of the water, my soul pants for you, oh God, I'm not always there. And so where we need to go over the next coming weeks is to explore, how do we, how do we come to terms with a divided heart? How do we come to terms with part of a want and a desire to long fully for God in a way that transforms us and revolutionizes our hearts, minds, soul strength, and all of who we are? That's where we're going to go in the next few weeks. We need to be done now. The band's going to come and lead us forward. I want to invite you to pray the prayer that we prayed last week. We're going to come to these tables and say, Jesus, when we come to these tables, what we're saying by merely walking up and taking a piece of bread and dipping it in the juice and placing it in our mouth and tasting it and going through that practice, that physical experience, what we're saying is, I need you more than anything else. I need you for life and breath. You, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to invite you again to pray this prayer. Jesus, have my heart. Knowing now that that means the surrender of our will and the shaping of our desires. Jesus, as we come this morning, and for those of us that are preparing to walk to this table, we say again that we need you. We need your good news that you alone offer salvation and hope and forgiveness and restoration. And that you don't end there, you start there. And you're in the work of revolutionizing our hearts, of making them fully yours. And so we say today that we need your help in doing that. And so have our hearts.